Did you know that instantly or? Well, that's okay, yeah. I, well, while you continue doing last second stuff, I'm gonna prepare my drink then. I would have had Robin Williams play Buttermaker. He's very good at playing off of people, very good at interacting with folks, and he's very good at bringing out comedy in other people. Yeah. And I would have had William H. Macy play the other coach. Is that not brilliant? Is that not right? Oh yeah, that's. Let's get back to the podcast for a second. Butter, butter maker. Is that his name? God, I keep getting that wrong. I, I tried to prepare you. Share us on Instagram, but it might not be Zuckerberg's by the time you do, if you're listening to this in 2025 or something. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And this evening, we will be reviewing Bad News Bears from 1976. Not the remake, but the original film starring Walter Matthau, Vic Morrow, Joyce Van Patten, Ben Piazza, George Weiner and a Tatum O'Neill and a host of other children directed by Michael Ritchie and released in the middle of the 70s a small film that uh, made quite a surprising splash at the time. Now can I have you pause for a second before you dive into your notes because I'm looking at the poster here which has got clever art it almost looks like the guy who did the sting art you just listed the cast and you listed listed it as it would as it would probably be listed today but the poster says Walter Matthau and then second billing is Tatum O'Neill. None of these other people you've you've just highlighted ahead of Tatum O'Neill. What so can you explain to me why this poster exists as it does? Why is Tatum O'Neill second bill? Tatum O'Neill is the daughter of Ryan O'Neill who was a, a major actor at the time. In fact, her previous film that she made before this movie was Paper Moon. Okay. Uh, which was a um, a Peter Bogdanovich film and uh, in which she played a role not dissimilar to her role in this movie, you know, as a young child, and she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress playing with her father. Okay. And so The Bad News Bears was actually her next kind of project, um, and is probably a movie she is better known for. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know many people that watch Paper Moon and, and discuss it. Like, you know, you don't run into people at work or, you know, wherever, you know, the coffee house or wherever you run into people, and people say, you know, I watched Paper Moon moon last night and no. you see that uh and actually and even though i i like uh bogdanovich as a director and, and just as a as a movie guy but i've never seen paper moon myself uh, I, I i've heard of it i've never seen it um i like a lot of the actors in it john hillerman is in it jason Higgins. Higgins is in it. Madeline Kahn is in Paper Moon, uh, who I like quite a lot. Actually, I mean, I like Ryan O'Neill too. So I, I just, I don't know what Paper Moon is about. It's very artsy, it looks like. It's set in, it's set in black and white. But Bogdanovich was a friend of, sorry, audience, we're already off on a tangent, but Bogdanovich was a friend of the great, oh, what the fuck was his name? He directed a film about Rosebuds. Oh, Orson Welles. And Bogdanovich was no stranger to Hollywood controversy too, by the way. But that's a story for another time maybe. Yeah, I mean, actually um, uh, he's a very interesting guy. He was also a big fan of Howard Hawks. Okay. Uh, because actually when uh, Bogdanovich, his comedies were intended to channel the films of how the, the screwball comedies of Howard Hawks, not, not his action film. Yeah. But Tatum O'Neill, this was kind of her kind of, this was kind of her next act after winning the Oscar, which is kind yeah. of an interesting thing to talk about because most people, if you say the Bad News Bears, even if they've not seen the movie, they know what you're talking 
talking about? Oh, that's the baseball team that sucks with the kids, the little league team. Yes, yes. But if you say Paper Moon, they won't know what you're talking about. Not, not a clue. So to me, I mean, that's a very interesting part of this is that Tatum O'Neill at the time would have been seen as maybe like Macaulay Culkin, you know, this child performer who Hollywood is eager to cast in something new and everyone knows, you know, who she is and, and, and you know, she's this great performer. She's not the Macaulay Culkin was ever awarded. I'm not saying that, but you know, this is a great child performer and now she's going to be in this, this comedy film and people would, people in 1976 would have known who she was. Well. Absolutely. No. I mean, it's a name I've heard. And it was like, when I, when I saw her name in the second billing, I was like, she's a kid in this though. Right. It's pretty yeah. rare. Like for instance, to, to, to just draw a, a parallel that I think is fair here. Star Wars Phantom Menace doesn't feature the kid who plays Anakin in the top billing at all. I don't right. think, you know, you have to be Jodie Foster level good to be a top billed child actor. Now, interestingly, okay, you just mentioned Jodie Foster. Well, of course I did. She was the first choice for this movie. Really? But she, but, but she was doing Taxi Driver instead. Okay, well, same year. Same year. Okay, that's crazy. Was Jodie? I think Jodie Foster was nominated for an Academy Award for that, wasn't she? I think so. The rest of the cast probably was. I mean, that's a, that was a yeah. Big, yeah. Um, well, Jodie Foster made the right choice, but this film would have also been a star-making performance. Oh, film. absolutely, uh, absolutely. This would have been a fine film for her to be in. Side uh, side note, audience: uh, a mutual friend of Jason and I's introduced me to Taxi Driver, and that film right. had the effect of basically stunning me into silence. For I don't know, I didn't. I was like, wow, that's that was I. That movie kind of blew me away and I, I didn't expect anything that happened at the end. I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. And it's funny, I part of the reason for my silence too was that my friend had fallen asleep because she had seen it several times. I didn't have anybody to talk to about what I do. It just happened to me, which Taxi Driver is definitely a movie that happens to somebody. But so, so I've just, I brought up Jodie Foster and, and in something that seems to, I'm looking at, at, at Tatum O'Neill's CV here and there does seem to be this kind of buzz about her. Like she's in, she's in like at least two Bogdanovich movies, Paper Moon and a film called Nickelodeon. And then what else is this next one? But she was in a lot of things and we sort of see her grow up. Now was she, but her CV is actually, Actually, pretty small for a person who's been in the business since 1973. What 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 were her fortunes in Hollywood? Was she part of some scandal, or did she go the way of many child actors, or did she just kind of not want to be part of Hollywood? Um, I'm 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 not sure what her story ended up being. I mean, I um I think that it was just more the that things just kind of dried up for her. I mean, I'm not I'm not aware of of, of too many things that she did as an adult. I mean, I mean, she's been busy. I mean, she did she she's she's done work up into 2021. Well, you know, um, she, she still performs, but not not at the kind of level that you would kind of expect. That okay, you know, here's this Oscar-winning young performer. Um, what are the you know what are they going to be like when they're when they're older? Yeah. And she's she's had multiple cameos. She's done a lot a lot of television. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm noticing. She's got like uh, she does some TV characters. Yeah, and 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 very successful uh, at it. But absolutely, absolutely. Um, but um, I think anybody that looks at, at 
at what she's done in her career and her life, she she does kind of not that she's you know not a talented person, but that she definitely peaked. Yeah, well, I actually it's interesting that you say that. You said peaked at a, a younger age, and I just watched a strange video clip of the great Sir Christopher Lee talking about the dangers some young actors have who don't have a lot of life experience necessarily and who don't have training peaking too early and not being able to be versatile because they don't have a life experience. I don't know if that's what happened to Tatum O'Neill. I mean, it doesn't seem to be. Like I said, she's been busy her since 73. So, I mean... (laughs) I you know I don't want to I don't want to pretend that she hasn't done been very successful because I'm sure that she has been but but yeah the, it seems like there was a lot of promise early in her career more so than I mean any of the other kid actors though there is another kid actor in this film who is unrecognizable whose success would oscillate pretty wildly over the course of the years but he seems to be back on in a good place now and that's Jackie oh gosh what's his name I always Jackie I always, Earl ha- Jackie Earl Haley has has worked on and off quite a bit yes these these three these three name actors fuck me up every time. I'm like, is it? I always get the second two names wrong. I disorder them. Jackie Earl Haley, yeah. Mo, now those two. Most of the other members of the Bears were kind of those, you know, those kids that got a job, you know, performed the job, and then never did anything again. Well, the rest of the cast, it seems pretty clearly, aren't necessarily trained actors. They were they were picked for their look, or they were, you know, for whatever reason. But but yeah, anyway, I, we audience, we got off track. Jason, what what production notes do you have, or or, or are we on track? Do you think we're on track? I, I mean, I think we're definitely on track. The Bad News Bears was a, a, a rather small film in 1976. It was a bit of a sleeper hit. It, it was very successful. Uh, not not a blockbuster, although, um, and, and the blockbuster did exist at this time because Jaws came out the year before. Yep. So you know, people would have known what the blockbuster was. The Bad News Bears was a very cheap film uh, released by Paramount Pictures that did surprisingly well. It, it was a, a very solid hit and was beloved uh, and created a series of, uh, afterwards probably is better remembered in in retrospect i mean i mean i think that this is a film that has kind of entered the canon not just as a film that people will return to and watch but 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 also you will run into this you know i mean if you ever hang out with parents who are watching their kids play in some little league sport it doesn't have to be baseball yeah they will refer to them in shorthand as the bad news bears yeah you know i mean i'm, I'm as, as a person who played little league i mean i had heard it you know even in the 80s when I was playing league baseball. I'm sure you did too. Yeah. As I was watching it, I did kind of think about how clever and inventive the idea was actually. You know, I mean, today uh, we we exist in this era where every studio is chasing the winter dramas and the summer blockbusters. And there doesn't seem to be... Now this is changing, I think, now in the era of streaming. Mm -hmm. But there doesn't seem to be... For the longest time, there didn't seem to be this like... Let's make a small, goofy movie with a weird concept. And this is a, I think this movie actually kind of has a weird hook, right? Yeah. I mean, this, the stuff of drama and high comedy, Little League shouldn't be. <laughs> Right, right, right. Uh, but 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 the the writer of this film, Bill Lancaster. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of clever. It was a uh, the the writer understood baseball. He under but more importantly, he understood little league baseball. And more importantly than that, he understood the culture of 
of parents from the good to the bad of Little League baseball and Little League sports generally. And so for me, as I was watching, I was like, well, this is such a strange, it's such a strange idea. Some guy said, well, I'm going to write a movie. I'm going to write a movie about Little League baseball, you know? And and then he peopled it with these fairly complex people uh, overall. Not the kids. Kids aren't complex. I don't think the kids are very complex in this movie. Right. Not outrageously so. Because kids haven't, I think, I think that these kids are done pretty well. But the film has some interesting things to say, I think, about everybody in the and it doesn't it's not doesn't beat us over the head with this, and we'll get to this more as the as we talk deeper into the film. But I I, I just thought that the script was pretty observant. Well, so as far as production notes, because I mean this was a pretty low budget affair, just shot in LA, didn't cost a lot of money. There's not necessarily a lot to say about the production of it because this was not intended to be a big film. Yeah. However, Michael Ritchie directed this film, and we have not reviewed a film directed by Michael Ritchie, but there is a member of the uh, of the production who we have already seen in an episode of Max and Jason watch a movie. Okay. And that is the man that you just mentioned, Bill Lancaster, was okay. the screenwriter of The Thing. Oh. The son, uh, he had a, a very famous acting father. Bill Lancaster? Bill Lancaster had a very a very famous acting uh, actor who was his father. Who's that? Bert Lancaster. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why did I miss that? Well, uh, uh, but um, so apparently and and actually this might the most important production note is that Bill Lancaster and actually I think this is a very important note okay um the relationship between Buttermaker played by Walter Matthau and Amanda Wurlitzer played by Tatum O'Neill was based on Bill Lancaster's relationship with his father Bert oh wow so if in watching this film if you see that relationship of Buttermaker and Amanda being the, the central theme there's a reason reason for that and uh and and even though amanda is female yeah bill was writing into their dynamic his relationship with his own father who he said was a very gruff kind of individual yeah yeah that's interesting so now but as we okay but but i want to i want to put a pin there okay i actually think that you kind of mentioned how this is kind of a weird movie and and that there's a kind of drama to it as well i would suggest that there's a heart to this movie okay that the heart comes comes from Lancaster's script because the movie's populated with all of these side characters and you know and there's villains and then there's you know kind of these outcast heroes but the primary the central relationship of the script is Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill it's not just because they're the the um uh the stars yeah but that that actually that le- that Bill Lancaster the writer was kind of casting into this little league story his own his own relationship with his father that's in, that. I mean, that, I mean, probably all authors do something like this some at, at some time in their work. You put you put part of yourself yeah. into the story, even if it's someone that's not like you. You kind of have to do it because, as Martin Scorsese has said, you know, you, you kind of make what you know. Yeah, well, absolutely, absolutely. No, that makes sense. I mean, and that's. I mean, that's one of the stronger elements of the film. But returning to the director really quickly, Michael Ritchie. I'm, I, I, folks, if you're students of film, you've seen a lot of his shows over the years. I mean, they're not, they're not necessarily hits or, you know, they're not big movies necessarily, but he's been fairly productive and composing good, solid material. He did, he's worked with Michael Caine in a movie called The Island. Of course, we were talking about the Bad News Bears. He did a film with Robert Redford that was quite 
quite popular, I think, called The Candidate. But he's worked with, he, he did, and I sort of hate to confess this, but I have to, in, he did The Golden Child, which is one of my favorite movies of the 80s. When I was a kid, I loved the movie The Golden Child. I've been scared to go back to it because I'm worried that it won't be as good as I thought it was when I was a kid. But he did a, he did a fun little boxing movie called Digstown with, uh, with the great Lou Gossett Jr. and the now insane James Woods. Richie has been a fairly productive guy. I, his last movie was in 2000. I don't know if he's still alive. Uh, but but yeah, he, uh, you know, so I mean, he's he's a, what I, what I want to say here, audience, is that he's a solid, solid director. That certainly shows in this. And he's a subtle director, I think, too. But he does, he does seem to hew to the small film. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, The Bad News Bears, this movie, has been cited as a favorite by Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. Wow. Wow. Well, those are, those are the heavy hitters of the oddball. <laughs> right. They're, they're appreciators. They're connoisseurs of the oddball film. So, Jason, this film is about a little league baseball team, correct? Um, it's about a little league baseball team. I, I I actually think this film, the little league baseball team, is the backdrop. This film is is a pure underdog film. Um, and, and I think the, so. To talk about the setup of the film, first shot of the film, we see sprinklers, we see a baseball field. There's kind of this sense that it's going to be this kind of quintessential American baseball movie, and then we're introduced to the the who is going to be the main character of the film, which is Walter Matthau as um, Morris Buttermaker, who is a, a great f- name. What a great name, by the way. I, I I I really did enjoy that name. Yeah. Well, he he's a former professional baseball player who now cleans pool for a living, which is a very LA job, by the way. Yes. And he has been hired to coach a little league baseball team. It's a job he does not take very seriously. The film establishes very quickly that not only is he an alcoholic. But he is a professional alcoholic. Yes. Very good at it. He 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 drinks beers while he's driving. And I guess he thinks that that's, he can get away with that. And, 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 you know, what makes it doubly offensive is that he'll open a beer and then take a, a, a fifth of some kind of bourbon or whiskey and, and, and pour it into the beer. And he does this while he's driving. So it's established very quickly. He's a very functional alcoholic. <laughs> Buttermaker is a very, very hardcore, serious alcoholic. But uh, but he's been asked to coach this little league team. I don't know if we. I think we discover we do discover pretty quickly that he's he's being paid for it. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's a politician in this area that's paying for him to come and coach this little league team that this he's, politician has basically forced into being. He's created a. a Somehow he's created a new team and the rest of the league we find out is a little resentful of this development. Somehow this, this politician has done that. He's, I don't get the sense. Is he the father of any of the players? I can't remember if this, he, 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 he is, he is the father of, hold on. Uh, I, I got to look it up because actually his son is not necessarily a major character. No. Toby Whitewood. Okay. Who plays first base and he's um, actually not one of the front and center kids. No, no. Um, which is kind of interesting as well, but yeah, but it seems but, like but, the politician has created this situation, right? And he's paying this under the guise of, well, you know, all the kids should be able to play, which is not really his motive, as we find out later. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but he doesn't have time for this, this, this project that he's got going. So he hires this, this burnout, this Roger Murtaugh, uh, <laughs> not Roger Murtaugh, sorry, uh, Martin Riggs coach. Yeah. He's a burnout. He's on the bleeding edge. But we see when we meet Walter Matthau, he's a very disinterested coach. He doesn't expect that he's, he, he doesn't realize that he's expected to do a lot more than just coach the team, right? He knows that he's not expected to do it. Yeah. Uh, he wants the check. Yes. Yes. And when he gets, to, when he meets these kids, it's kind of funny. Um, oh, 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 hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's a character moment because actually this movie, very subtly, all the moments of this movie, there's a lot of great little character moments because when, when um, Mr. Whitewood, the city councilman, when he gives him the check, Buttermaker says, uh, you didn't sign the check. Check is not signed. Because, so we get the sense immediately that Whitewood is like a used car sales. Yeah. Here's the check. He's thinking that Buttermaker will take the check, do the job, drink his beer, and then in the end, the check will bounce and everything will be fine. Yeah. And Buttermaker is a little bit more ahead of the curve than than Whitewood expects. The check is not signed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he, he signs it. He also, there's, there's also some funny things about about where he's talking to white whitewood and uh what's that his name yeah and and he's like well you gotta pay me and and whitewood's like well we're not supposed to talk about that you're not really supposed to be paid it's supposed to be really really supposed to be yeah, a it's under the table yeah. yeah yeah and uh i was like oh sorry i didn't realize that uh but i need that check <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and and, and Buttermaker, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I didn't realize Buttermaker is, is not interested in any of Whitewood's priorities. No, no. I showed up. I'm gonna I'm gonna interact with these kids. Pay me and move on. <laughs> like absolutely, yeah. And so from there, we 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 get him introduced to the kids where he, he where he's trying to. Where do you want to play? I'm gonna call your name out and tell me what position you want to play. And <laughs> and and immediately, I mean, this is this is basically chaos, and he doesn't really care because he's not interested in really being. A, a good coach to these kids. He's interested in place holding while these kids fuck around on the field. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he just got some money. Which, by the way, did you notice the actor that plays Whitewood, the city councilman, is quite a bit like Walter Peck from Ghostbusters in visual appearance. Oh, he is actually. You're right. You're right. Yeah, an actor, but it is it is very similar. No, similar. Uh, uh. As a villain, as somebody who's you know kind of interested in you know yeah. kind of um, making a name for themselves. You know that kind of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Very quickly, we realize that these kids are very unruly. They are they are the the dregs of this league, essentially, right? They are not athletes. No, no. Um, there are a couple of people who have some potential on the team, but it isn't close to being realized yet. But at the end of this, I'll call your name. You tell me what position you want to play. After a little bit, he's like, "Well, I just go out and play." <laughs> And he doesn't really care. What, what happens in this scene? I mean, there's something I was trying to think of. Something that happened in the scene. That well, was... um, th th there's the uh, the interaction with Engelberg, the catcher. You know, and then you know, we're, actually, a couple things happen. There's the you know the chocolate on the ball. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because Engel Engelbert audience for people who don't know Engelbert has a weight problem. And he's always eating candy bars, and I, I know there's a moment where he's like, "Well, you have to eat this now." And he's like, well, "I need my energy. This has got energy in it." And, and yeah. uh, Buttermaker, yes says, uh, well, whatever, fine. Uh, which brings us back to the chocolate on the ball business. So the kid's got a problem. This film, folks, is a 1976 film. If you watch it, be prepared to be like, wow, you couldn't do that today. It's so, um, so folks, this film was my 
idea because yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I've seen this film before, and I suggested to Max that this movie is kind of the blazing saddles of children. Yeah, of movies because there's a lot of things in it that today we would see as very politically incorrect, maybe offensive. You know, well, I, mean, I mean, you should know that before you go into it. I mean, I'm not. It's very interesting. This film doesn't necessarily have an overt political agenda. It's got a good heart, and it and it means well in all of its particulars. But there is a little kid. There's a little racist bastard on this team that the whole team basically ignores when he says his weird racist shit and, and this kid is probably somebody jason and i knew when we were kids jason and i are children of this era this this well, is see, uh, well, well just to stop you there yes and i think that's why the reason that i think there's a reality to this film is that um i don't think i would not recommend people to watch this movie and to suggest that this is how kids should interact or be raised no no but it's a fairly accurate version of what it was like to grow up in that time well absolutely and what i thought was kind of interesting about the kid i was as i was watching the film i was like well, what's this movie basically trying to say because i don't know what it's trying to say but i think especially when you when you come to the final game of the movie the film is saying something fairly subtle about the people who raise kids yeah. and this little racist bastard is somebody who doesn't know a thing about what he's talking about but what i get from this kid is this is a kid who's repeating what his parents say yes and so i thought wow as i was as i was watching it i was like i think i see what lancaster is doing here in that he's he's kids are often often they're a little normal they're just humans that are not grown and you know fairly smart and articulate and, and free thinking and come up with neat ideas about the world on their own but in some other ways kids are sort of prisoners to their caregivers because 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 evolutionarily audience kids kids sort of have to believe and 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 accept what their parents say and so what i think is kind of neat about this film here is that it captures that reality a little bit like this kid and this is the smallest kid on the team too who's also the most crazily racist kid but i don't think that he's actually a According to Hoyle racist because he doesn't understand any of the concepts concepts he's saying I don't think you know which is why the whole team ignores him every yeah. time he pipes up you know when, when they don't dunk on him for not really knowing what he's talking about because <laughs> right. because there's a scene audience where the kid sees the team and he complains about the makeup of the team in, in very in fairly explicit terms I mean it's it's pretty awful I'm not going to say it because uh, I don't want to offend the audience by by saying things but but uh, one of the other team members says hey you know, since you're like the smallest kid here and are not a, a Jew, a blah, 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 blah. Maybe you should shut up before we all just kick your ass. That, that's Ogilvy, who actually, who you're describing as Ogilvy. Yeah, yeah. Is probably the kid that probably represents, is the closest representation of the kind of kid I was when I was yeah. with the glasses and the, you know, and he memorizes the stats and all that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, For Christ's sake, Ogilvy. <laughs> yes, yes. And so, so that's all all pretty uh I, I thought it was all very real in some way even though it's a comedy it's not an outlandish comedy and so i thought i thought that was i thought it was all pretty interesting the the, the kids seem very real uh even though i 
audience that this is something else I have to say about the kids. Not all of them are Jodie Foster level kid actors. They're not they're not all great actors here, but you have to forgive some of that audience with kid actors. Go ahead, Jason. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm that's totally true. But, but there's something else, you know, I actually think, I mean, now being an adult, there's something very kind of natural about Buttermaker, how I mean, even at this point, he's not really taking the team very seriously, but how um, he is so indulgent of all their personalities. Like he doesn't question anything that they say, you know, he just wants to do the job. We find out that I guess he, he's pretty amused by them very quickly and begins to engage in behavior that might be the most dated part of the movie in which he he begins uh, basically engaging the children in slave labor. Yes. Doing his job for him and mixing and mar- what? Mixing martinis for him. Yes. Lupus, who's the sickly kid that never plays, apparently is the best. You know, thank you, Lupus. Yeah. Folks, my dad used to engage in that very behavior with my sister and I. My sister can make a great martini because of my dad. Hey, make me a martini. Anyway, it's... The, the, the film is very much of the era that we grew up in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not defending that. I'm, I'm actually just suggesting that, you know, from a very existential kind of like, what was it like? Not not that we were all part of an underdog teams that uh, yes, yes. to win the championship. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that there was a certain feel about how kids interacted uh, at that time and how adults interacted with kids at that time that today seems very weird. Yeah. Ways that I would not interact with a child that is depicted in this movie. But I guess that I would suggest that it's it's very much in keeping with that time. I think so. No, I mean, it's it's a this is this film is is certainly a time capsule. So basically, Buttermaker is pretty blase about his role as a coach, which means he doesn't give a shit. Exactly. And 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 he's that way right up into the first game when they get creamed. He is drinking in the dugout. He is. This is something, too, that I think is 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 goes back to his alcoholism. And the kids, I mean, he drinks so much that everybody comments on it. Like, uh, yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's a strange thing. And I, I suppose that's actually kind of a sad thing about him. He's not a happy guy, which we learn later in the film. He There's a certain, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to his character flaw later on. But he's talking with Ogilvy a lot in the dugout. Ogilvy is the team statistician and he's, he's you know, he's keeping good records. We learn, we sort of get the backstory on him. Not actually the backstory, but we get like hints about him. And then he's actually a really smart kid. And he just sucks and that's why he never plays. Exactly. And so he's, but he is doing what he thinks he can for the team and in kind of tracking it statistically and trying to figure out how to help that way. And there's this really wonderful moment in the, uh, in the state of play where several kids collide in the outfield of the Bears, the Bad News Bears. That's the name of their team, the Bears. Uh, and Ogilvy says, was that a mistake? And he says, well, the throw was a mistake, Ogilvy, but not at the infield because there was nobody there. There was no mistake made. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> he's just so matter of fact that he doesn't care. And then, and then opens a beer or takes a <laughs> And like, they're getting creamed. And uh, at some point he says, uh, well, I'm going to go stop this. This is just pointless um, because the bears are getting destroyed and he forfeits the game. Yeah. And that's the, def- that's the first defeat of the bears. And it's at this point though, where everybody sort of turns against the bears that he gets activated. Some, something, something in his makeup is, activated by the fact that everybody is just like not just everybody 
anybody, even Whitewood. Even Whitewood, the person who sponsors the team. Everybody sort of says they're going to disband the team. And what's interesting is that this begins his sort of Buttermaker's character arc. He basically is just there to make sure the kids go out and play and have fun. That's what he sort of sees his role as. Yeah. Right? He doesn't care about the game. There are really no stakes in Little League, everybody. I don't know if everybody knows that, but... There are no stakes. Uh, it's just a t- it's just an excuse for kids to go out and have some structured fun. That should be what it is. That's how Buttermaker begins his journey. Yeah. And but you want to at least be competitive, I guess. The kids are all sad after this, but but everybody turns against the kids. Uh, maybe you want to explain this 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 turn in the story. Yeah, I, I I actually think that this is the beginning of Buttermaker because he he likes the kids. I mean he he likes the kids immediately, and yeah. and, he, and he has this kind. Kind of interaction with them this kind of like frustrated give and take you know where he kind of starts over and says let's start from square one this is a baseball <laughs> well this is after the defeat right um no no that's that's after the practice oh <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um, so, I mean, he, I mean, he, he knows that they, but he's being paid for this. Yeah. But you said something was activated in him, and I agree because I think that now what's in what's really interesting about this movie is that the movie implies this backstory, this kind of Obi Wan Kenobi backstory, where Buttermaker was maybe a good pitcher. Yeah. You're a really good ball player. We don't get any details. We don't get any details. You know, we don't get many details. Was was he a star? Did he? Just just come up short we know now that he's not well respected you know that he's kind of a, a, a drunken pool cleaner and there's something about the fact that everyone is ready to give up on these kids that that suddenly motivates him to not as you said they're going to disband the team that at least at bare minimum we're not going to disband the team we're going to play we're going to learn how to play the game we're going to get better and then that slowly turns into hmm, who else can we find yeah well, he's he's making some progress. So so after after this moment where he's not being paid anymore by that guy, by yeah. Well, because Whitewood wants him because it's embarrassing. Yes, just, that's the thing. Because it was all about image for him. It was all about image for Whitewood. Well, and, you know, you know, this is uh, just forget it. Yeah. And uh, and suddenly Buttermaker is all on board. Of nope, we're going to keep going. Well, and, and that's funny too because as they're as they're having their practice after that game, after the disastrous first game, Buttermaker and the nemesis coach played by uh, Vic Morrow Roy Turner uh, is his name in this movie he comes in and sees them on the field and he's like what what are you doing on the field? I thought you, I thought your team was disbanded. Your team quit. And he's like, no, Whitewood quit. We're still doing it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Vic Morrow, uh, not Vic Morrow, sorry, uh, Mr. Turner, the character of uh, Vic Morrow, again, talks about how, how bad it will be for them to be embarrassed. You know, you don't want to do this. And what, what do you think that you're going to get out of this? And uh, sorry, Buttermaker says to, to Turner, well, we're going to be in the final. We wouldn't, we're going to, that's our goal. We're going to be in the final. And wouldn't it be fun? Well, we hope you're the other team in there he doesn't like turner obviously nor do we no nor do we and and that's only going to get worse as the as the film goes on turner doesn't take him very seriously but there is a goal that's uh being set buttermaker is helping these kids he's teaching them fundamental skills that they don't have and they're getting better but they're not getting better quick enough to get to the final so buttermaker knows of at least one ringer 
that he can bring in to to boost their team skills because he's they're starting to build up but he needs somebody a, a pivotal player that can help out and the first one he gets is not his stepdaughter but but somebody who almost was his stepdaughter or not his stepdaughter. Well, yeah almost like he the daughter of a single mom who he dated yeah and we get the sense the film definitely implies that although she amanda the 11 year old yeah. in 11 when he was dating her mother but though they got along the relationship relationship was really a disaster yes i mean yeah that seems to be the case but yeah but and, for whatever and, reason uh buttermaker sort of seems to see her as a daughter he doesn't he doesn't say that too ever ever clearly but but uh, that's clearly what it intends well and that's what she wants yes and he taught her how to pitch and she's yeah. a pitcher uh but now and this is very hollywood la uh she she's um she's thinking about her future and she's selling maps to the stars yes she is yes she's she's the, the this this kid Amanda has got a lot of hustle because she is like she's like I think she says she's making eighty five bucks a week which would have been a lot of money in in seventy six yeah um, for an eleven year old certainly. yeah yeah. Sidebar, in 2021 dollars, that amounts to about $422.90 when you adjust for inflation. So endeth the sidebar. Buttermaker approaches her, tries to kick up some small talk with her, and then of course he comes to the to the hey, what do you think about playing baseball? And she, and she knew it. She knew it was coming. She knew he, he knew he was up to something. And he tries some child psychology the first time and doesn't work, and he goes away empty-handed. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I want to say uh, Tatum uh, is very good in these scenes. In these scenes with Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill is very good. Uh, I thought. Um. So um. I I actually watched an interview with her about this movie okay she's very proud of it she should be so this might be a good moment to, to mention this um she uh, she was asked so what was it like working with walter Matthau? i mean he was always walter Matthau in the movies is that how he was in real life and she said and i almost quote no not at all walter Matthau was nothing like the person that he usually played he was he was very much a gentleman with everybody you know all kind of off screen mm-hmm. and took acting very seriously and was actually almost a method actor. Oh, really? That's her statement, yeah. That's interesting. I've been sort of bumping around a, a Walter Matthau thriller where he plays a bank robber. I haven't bit the bullet yet because it's so odd an idea to see him as a bad man, you know? Well, so, see, I think what Tatum O'Neill was getting at, and this is Tatum O'Neill as an, as an adult saying this, yeah. but what she was saying was, is that I think, this is not a quote, this is my interpretation of what she said, He's a he was a typecast actor who was a method actor who was somebody who was actually very serious about acting yeah. and took his roles very seriously. But you know, I mean, but he wasn't picky either. Like I mean, he would do what people asked him to do. No, no, he was he is the Michael Caine of American actors. <laughs> Walter Matthau is always good in the movies that he does. But like I said, so that doesn't work. I think we get another game and the Bears are actually improving. We're seeing improvement with every game, but they still need somebody at the plate. Right, right. Uh, at, at the pitcher's mound, I mean to say. Because their hitters are developing. Oh, uh, let me back up a little bit. After the first game where they get trounced and Walter Matthau's buttermaker has had his epiphany, his moral epiphany, and he's going to take these kids as, he's going to make them the best team that he can make them. When he comes back, to practice the kids say thank you for the uniforms that you got us <laughs> by the way 
way, I, I did like the fact that, uh, so this was one of the things that happened for Buttermaker. He had to go around and get somebody to sponsor the team to get the uniforms. And, and all the good sponsors were taken. Yes. And that was kind of a funny thing. Oh, w- when some woman associated with the league is like, what have you gotten the kids' uniforms? And he's like, what? <laughs> There's a nice little, I mean, it's a nice little comedic pause, but but the but the team sponsor is is some bail bond company. Eco's bail bonds, which I just learned today, was a real was or is a real bail bond. company. Oh wow, that's hilarious! So Chico's bail bonds. I mean, that's a that's a <laughs> really little touch. But the kids are like, oh, thanks for thanks for the uniforms, but we've decided that we're done. We're we're disbanding the team, and this is this is where uh, Buttermaker kind of has a has a nice coach speech. I think he says to one of the kids well, what about you what about you turner you want to you want to quit nah coach i want to play and it's you know it's a lot of a lot of great little moments and then but some of the kids are still adamant like no we disbanded the team and then he kind of has a moment where he snaps he's like oh god damn it it doesn't matter if you guys vote the only vote that counts is mine go get dressed and we're gonna play and the kids the kids weren't super they weren't as committed to the disbanding as they thought they were because they they really they really gravitated towards this coach who was like no we're not done we're gonna keep playing well so uh, right here i want to grab a thread because actually i think in, in comedic ways and in dramatic ways there are things that buttermaker does that today people would call cringy yeah and and i i agree i do do agree something very human about the character of morris buttermaker because actually i want to say that a lesser film would have created a character who who always said the right thing even though he was lovably a loser and oh he's an alcoholic but suddenly he suddenly he steps up and he says the perfect speech yeah maker doesn't do that never (laughs) sometimes not always but sometimes there are moments where Buttermaker is almost a bully. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's sometimes it's uncomfortable for a moment. Well, I think that's intentional. I think that we're supposed to be critical of Buttermaker. I think that Bert yes, Lancaster, I think that Lancaster wanted us to see this flawed character. That was also kind of a, a, a trend in the 70s. We didn't have like perfect heroes. This Buttermaker is an anti-hero. Yeah, he absolutely is. If this were a Jimmy Stewart movie, this wouldn't this would be a different character. Yes. This guy is a flawed individual and we kind of see an arc for him in this movie where he goes from "Eh, this is just fun kids are having fun then he gets invested in their dignity right and and we're supposed to see there's almost this (laughs) audience this is this is going to seem weird there's almost this in the final game there's almost this Denethor Theoden contrast right they're very similar characters and then one of them makes the right choice and one of them makes the wrong choice yeah you know and so we'll, and we'll get to that yeah. so but right now he's in he's in fairly decent coach mode we're not really seeing the bully yet but this is this is a taste of it when he says no god damn it the, your vote doesn't count i'm the coach you guys haven't just well, this is not see you call that you call that a great coach speech in 1976 it would have been yeah. today it might be frowned upon a little bit a little bit certainly cussing at the kids might <laughs> <laughs> frowned upon but he's already had lupus maxima martini <laughs> All bets are off. All bets right. are off. But the kids really gravitate towards this interested adult. Yes. We should yes. also we should also kind of note audience that 
There's also another kind of loser, quote unquote, kid that keeps popping up in the film who rides his uh, Honda motorcycle around. He's always hanging out around the baseball fields. He's a little older. He's he's about uh, Tatum O'Neill's age, which is 11 or 12, right? And he's a bit of a delinquent, but he's always on the field. He's a 70s Fonzie. He is. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We see see that character in uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, Dazed and Confused guy that he'll play yeah. with. I think the reason why I've steered away from this movie so much over the years is because it does make me see our youth. Um, yeah. And I mean, you and I were very brief children of the 70s, you know, yeah. but I still remember people like this. I remember riding my bike around all hours, you know, being off with other kids and, and you know, completely free-range children. And there were these weird older kids that you would meet that were always hanging out and being weird. Weird. And this kid is somebody who like sort of exists in, you know, uh, the Jungian collective memory of, of children of the 70s, right? And early 80s, I suppose. But but anyway, this film and films like it uh, certainly have the effect of making me feel older than I like to feel. I, I, I get that. But at the same time, I mean, the memories are very vibrant to me. <laughs> They're a long time ago, but yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I remember people like that. Oh, absolutely actually um but returning to the movie and and, and let's have our autobiography what i like about this next vignette is is buttermaker teaching the kids fundamental baseball now this film isn't this film isn't the natural folks this isn't ken burns baseball this isn't uh, necessarily a love letter to baseball it's not field of dreams it's not bull durham but it i mean it is knowledgeable enough of baseball we get a lot of little baseball trivia there's a there's a there's a black kid on the team who wants to be hank aaron Ahmed. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and. There's, there's a, there, I want, that's what I want to touch on. When Ahmed leaves the team after, when he runs off after the first game where they'd lost, and he's thrown all of his baseball outfit on the ground, and he's sitting in a tree in his underwear. I don't deserve to wear it. <laughs> exactly, and like a buttermaker climbs up the tree and is like, "What are you doing up there?" I think this is part of the humanizing effect that the team had on him because because buttermaker has this experience with Ahmed, and then goes and basically has the uh, sorry the the what's his fucking name white. Whitewood talk about how embarrassed he is and he's like those reactions make him think about Ahmed in the tree but he climbs up the tree and he's like uh, what are you doing up here and Ahmed's like what'd you bother me for get out of my tree and he's like, well isn't that anybody's tree this, this isn't your tree okay. and uh, he's like I don't why why are, you, why are your clothes on the ground and that's when he says I don't deserve to wear that outfit and they have a kind of a touching talk after 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 a little bit but when Buttermaker butter, butter, Buttermaker lies to him yeah those are some tough balls the sun was in your eyes and he's like like, don't give me any of your honky bullshit. <laughs> and uh, and Buttermaker's like, hey, kid, let's not bring race into this. This team has enough problems as it is. Which I thought was, I thought was a very funny kind of matter-of-fact way that, that Buttermaker behaves. But he's he's actually a very good mentor in this moment, even though, you know, he probably just crushed a beer can and threw it in a trash can before climbing up this tree with this kid. And I like how he does, how he is a, he's a good mentor for a, a while for these kids. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so he's teaching them and they they, they come close. Well, 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 he lies to Ahmed and he's like, uh, you know, good thing Hank Aaron didn't quit. What do you mean? Is like, you know, the 42 errors. What 42 errors? Like Hank Aaron committed 42 errors when he was in Little League. And Ahmed is tempted not to believe. It's true. Ask Ogilvy, you know, because of course it's a lie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, mean, I mean, he's making that up, but he's working very hard to 
try to give these kids some hope because they don't believe in themselves. Yeah. I discovered that none of the adults believe in them either. Yeah. Yeah. He's the only person that if he doesn't do something that then this experience is just going to be traumatic. Almost projection yeah. that, well, I tried little league once and it was a disaster. I, I'm a loser kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and, and I think we assume that Buttermaker is sensitive to that. He seems he to be someone to feel that way. Absolutely. And so they, so in the next game they come close but and they're sh- they're showing improvement but buttermaker wants to get them into the finals and so he goes back to amanda and and his his child psychology works this time and and because she, but she's thinking about her future she doesn't want to play she doesn't want to be a tomboy anymore um and uh and she's like, well, you're right. she wants to do ballet yeah and she's like well and he's like well you're right you know kids peak when they're uh, girls peak when they're nine so you probably couldn't help the team anyway yeah. and 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 this is kind of you know uh because he'd asked her about her curveball earlier and she said she'd claim that she doesn't do that anymore and as he's walking away after his little uh girls peak when they're nine she's like she talks about the drop on her curveball and he's like oh really and she's she's still been working at it absolutely absolutely and she's still got it she throws really well she decides to join the team and i think they win their first game after that or they at least tie or they they do some they do some good work i think they win their first they they win their first game after that because she sits everybody down and by the way tatum o'neill uh worked very hard to learn how to pitch and most not all but most of the pitching scenes are really her oh really which i mean i wondered about that i wondered about that because i i couldn't spot the handoff if there was you know there were a couple scenes where they used a stand-in yeah had a pitch but most what i read was most of the scenes where you see her pitch it's her now so so that's awesome but what i'm talking about is like sometimes you can clearly see that they've put in a double right yeah Um, i couldn't did you spot any of the I, no, I so I so I thought that because some of the times you can definitely see that it's her because it's in frame. Other times I wondered if they weren't using a double from behind a couple times, but I couldn't tell. You couldn't spot it. Yeah. Now um, I didn't mention this in the production notes. You will be very interested to hear this. I am already. Um, uh, you will be. You will be. <laughs> so this film uh, was edited through Harris who um, uh, actually uh, edited a lot of films that Michael Ritchie directed. He later, beginning with Terminator 2 Judgment Day, became the regular editor for James Cameron and was the editor uh, all the way up to Titanic. What was the editor's name again? Richard A. Harris. Richard A. Harris. He edited this film. Okay. Uh, was one of his early films. And I think what you're getting at is that this is a well-edited film because you can, you know, you cannot tell that, you know, when they have like a, a, a a stunt child yeah. out there performing well, things. Well, absolutely. And, and not just there. This film is actually, I mean, I hadn't thought to say this until you just mentioned it, but this film is really masterfully edited. It's pretty wonderfully paced. It's a it's about a two-hour movie, but it doesn't feel like it. It's a very, it's a very engaging story and it's told well. Um, and, and a lot of that is in its editing choices. I th- you know, it, it's, um, it's less than an hour and 45 minutes. Is it really? Yep. Okay. Um, what am I? thinking oh anyway so i'll take your word for that but it doesn't seem terribly long it, it just it's it's just it's it's good storytelling so the bears are getting better now they've got a now they've got a ringer now she's she's offered some stipulations she needs ballet lessons she needs what she what she get out of what she get out of buttermaker here well she, she gets all kinds of things out of
out of him. And he has this line where he's like, uh, um, you know, what are you, catfish hunter? Which is a dated reference because at that time, literally in that year, catfish hunter had signed with the Yankees for this big contract. Okay. And was the best paid athlete of all time at that time. He basically was was stating that she was basically like extorting him. Now, but what's interesting, and, and, and I can't remember all the details of what she wanted, but really Amanda wants his attention. Yes. Because Amanda, I think, has these memories that when, when he was dating her mother, her mother was happy, she was happy, and she's she's decided to take the risk, because she doesn't trust him. No. Nope. But um, she's decided to take the risk to try to, to, to take this step to try to re-engage with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know they give you some backstory when he talks a little bit to her about all the things they did together. Like, he definitely did think of her as his, as, as a kid, as, as his kid, you know? Took her, took he in the... Well, but, but he lies to her in which he says that he, he liked her mother and still does. Yeah. And then later in the film, he kind of points out that he and her mother never really got along at all. Well, I, I'll, 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 I'll push back on that later on in that scene because I, I have a theory about old Mr. Buttermaker. Anyway, what I, but here, you know, uh, he gets her on the team and the team just continues to improve. They get a forfeit. Somebody, the other team has to forfeit because the White Sox, the White Sox have to forfeit. And that's kind of a funny scene when the guy's talking about how, because he can't, the, the White Sox coach can't field a, a, a full team. He can't feel, and he's trying to convince the regulators or whatever about how he can play the game anyway. And he's he's like, I got a kid sick with the flu, and I got this goddamn uh, Bible thumping kid who won't fucking come in today because it was a Sunday game, and I, I thought that was funny. Um, and she's like, Well, you can't feel a team; you got to forfeit, and the Bears win, so that's another win in their in their quest to have enough points to be the the number two team, the, one of the teams in the finals. And uh, anyway, so that works out. And while they're at their next practice, this rebellious kid, this Fonzarelli kid, is on the on the sidelines, and one of the ball almost goes out or actually does go out of out of uh out of range and this kid on the motorcycle picks it up and buttermaker says hey give that back or somebody says give that back and the kid rifles the ball from beyond the outfield from beyond the home home run zone all the way in and that immediately buttermaker's like we need that kid yeah. and uh and everybody basically says that this kid's the best athlete in in on it who could be on any of the teams but he's you know he's a little hellion yeah, none of the adults respect him, which is established early on. Yeah, well, that's right because he's he's hanging out there. Um, so Buttermaker cooks up a scheme and tries to get uh, Amanda to lure the kid in with a uh, table hockey. What's that game called? Air hockey. Yeah. Uh, God. Do you remember how many? I, I don't know how many times you played air hockey in, in your youth, but I that I always whenever I played that game, even into now, I think of the seventies and early eighties because I used to play that yeah. all the time. Man, my cousin Chuck and I used to burn up so many hours at the Y just playing air hockey and uh, occasionally smashing our fingers on the on the side. But anyway, doesn't work out. She makes a bet with the kid and she loses. Which the scene sets it up. She's very confident. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it kind of, we get the sense that they're both kind of equals. Like this is the, this is a match of Titans. Absolutely, absolutely. We don't and see the game, the, but, but yeah, but yeah, she loses. And I, I'm sure that it was, you know, the the scholars of air hockey still talk about that game. I, I, I'm positive. But uh, yeah, I wish we could have seen it. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, in the end, she has to go 
she lost the bet, so she's got to go with him to a concert. What's the concert? Who's she going to see? God, I can't remember. I can't remember either. Uh, Rolling yeah. Stones. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Rolling Stones. Um, and but anyway, the kid, the kid keeps hanging out on these baseball diamonds, and this is where our hero, uh, well, one of our heroes, uh, this kid, by the way, is named Kelly Leak, and he's played by Jackie Earl Haley. Um, and uh, the the opposing the 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 other badass coach in this league Roy Turner comes up and gives the kid a hard time and Leek's like well I could outplay anybody here and and Turner says some really awful shit to this kid and you almost get the sense that he realizes that maybe that's not the right thing for him to have said because he says well too bad we'll never find out and then on top of that, nobody, no, nobody here wants you here. You know, we don't like little delinquents like you. And, you you know, he basically says you don't belong here. And which is very antithetical to the kind of chatter Roy Turner has said about Little League up to this point. You know, he's kind of touted it as character building. He gives, he gives earlier in the film, he gives Buttermaker a hard time for forfeiting the game. Oh, you don't want to make him quit, kid. You know, you don't want to give him that lesson. Or he, he, he talks a big game about it, but he's really mean to leak in this scene and you almost get the sense that he's like well maybe i shouldn't have said that but he doesn't take it back he doesn't say he doesn't try and he doesn't try and intervene in this kid's life right well turner turner is a guy who he thinks he's doing the right thing he, he's a cocky bastard he, he treats people very badly but in his mind he thinks he's giving them exactly what they need okay is how i would read it i mean i i kind of agree with what you're saying but but i think that we'll see later that turner Roy Turner, played by Vic Morrow, is definitely someone who believes that life, sport, whatever, should be played and lived in a certain way. And and he's going to stick to that come hell or high water, as we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah, he's but he's he's unnecessarily vicious to this kid, I thought. And that and that's certain this is something that the film does capture pretty well, which is the uh the psychology of rebellion. Yeah. And so this kid's like, Oh, you don't think I can you don't think anybody wants me, you don't think anybody wants me to play well i know a way i can show you and he goes to the bad news bears because they want him to play they he knows they want him to play and he's like well all right i'm gonna play for you guys and the combination of amanda and leak and the improving team begin to turn the fortunes of the bad news bears around and they start winning games not just on her pitching but also on his skill and, and on the growing skills of the other members of the team uh right. ahmed uh engelbert engel uh, uh let's see what's his name engel engelberg engelbert is becoming quite a slugger but <laughs> going back to how inappropriate this this film can be at times uh the bears are kind of chilling they're all a little hot in an earlier scene and they're i think they're by a pool right yep so i want to jump in and uh i'm hot and and Engelbert says well, I, i'm gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna get in the water and uh <laughs> and buttermaker says I don't do that Engelbert. you'll flood the whole valley because of course, I mean, it's a fat joke and it's cruel and it's 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 a it's it's something that you couldn't say today. But I think even with today's sensibilities, what you get from that is that Buttermaker doesn't mean really anything super mean by it. They're joking around. They're he's cutting up with the kids like they cut up with each other a little bit, you know. And but, but see, they pick on him too because they, they really do when they're when they're in his convertible and they're 
are all in this convertible yeah. driving. And I, I believe it's Engelberg that, that picks up his fifth and says, um, you can't have this in, in the car. You know, this is an open container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, 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 the, the kids always give him a hard time about his boozing. And it is strange that, well, I mean, this is something that you also see too. Like none of the kids' parents there, I mean, you, you don't see the Bears' parents interacting much with the kids. The, the only parent that we ever really get to know is Whitewood, and we never see him really interact with his kid. No. It's almost like the Bears, this is not laid out. And, and in fact, in the final scene, which we'll get to, we do see the parents jumping in. But for the most part, you could almost assume that these kids are kind of free-range kids. They're, you know, they're, they've kind of developed their own personalities. Their parents aren't really involved with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the impression, just based on the interactions, that's what you end up seeing. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was before the this these kids, this movie existed before the phrase uh, that you and I grew up with a lot. And you and I were this kid, um, latchkey kids. I mean, that's that's uh, that is what these kids sort of strike me as. And, and audience, I don't know if you guys know what this is. Um, when Jason and I were growing up uh, shortly after the extinction of the dinosaurs, um, uh, there was this phenomenon that, that, that the culture, uh, cultural uh, commentators were very worried about. And that was this 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 thing about latchkey kids, which were kids who had their house key uh, with them and they would go home to empty houses uh, because they're both parents work and uh, or they would walk home from school. I mean, I, I know I was a I, I was a I mean, my parents weren't home much. You know, both my parents worked. Both your parents worked. Right. And so uh, so a lot of kids from my era existed in this unsupervised what I'm calling now free range state. Uh, so I don't know if that was a bad thing audience i i certainly treasure that that child that that experience um but it's something i certainly don't feel comfortable i wouldn't have felt comfortable with my daughter right like riding around all over town uh yeah, I, I I sympathize with what you're saying. I um, I also think there was something very unique about it. I, I, I'm not, I don't want to say it was a good thing necessarily. I don't know that it was. It was a mixed thing. I guess that what you're saying, or at least, uh, you know, what I would draw from what you're saying is that I think this film portrays that in kind of an implied way. Yeah. Uh, in a very real way. It's it's It presents it in a fairly neutral way, I think. Um, And I don't know that it was a bad thing or... What I guess what I would say and what maybe this film would say is that that experience wasn't all bad. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, of course, we were in a different time, and and maybe a less maybe a less dangerous time for kids. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it is strange to me that at eleven or twelve, I would ride from one end of town on my bike to the other. You know, and my parents no one cared. And no one cared. No one said where are your parents. No one. Said, no one say to me where do you know? Do your parents know where you're at? There were no cell phones. You know, uh, and somehow you know. Anyway, I don't know. I I, I don't know if that was right or wrong but it, it wasn't all bad um right. and so anyway uh but these kids are very much kids i can relate to uh and would have related to uh anyway where do you want to take where do you want to take us with the film uh, well, well i mean um i 
guess I, I would kind of like to linger on on the kids a little bit just because um, like I know that you've talked about um, the kids from the Goonies. Yep, yep. The way kids were portrayed in the 80s. I, I would kind of suggest that maybe this film is a little pioneering in that sense. I, I can't think of too many films before this that portrayed kids in the way that we're talking. And I, what I mean by that is kids that, that are portrayed in such a way that reflect how we were raised. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. No, I, I, I think you're probably probably right. Um, I think I can't think of another movie too and that does that. At least uh, successful, you know, that or or a cultural touchstone. Yeah. Like this one, like this one was. Um, and um and and you know, we'll get to more of the kind of emotional interactions between all of them. Um, we might I, I might choose this moment to linger on the moment where uh lupus and uh Tanner who's the loudmouth blonde kid yeah. are both, you know, they go to the concession stand and they get some food and they sit down and two of the Yankees players and listeners, the Yankees are the, the, the team that are coached by Roy Turner, Vic Morrow's character. And they're, and they're all bullies. They're just like, they're just like him. And Tanner wants nothing to do with lupus, you know, stay away from me, this kind of thing. And uh, the bullies go up to lupus and they take his cap off and they fill it with ketchup and mustard and put it back on his head. And Tanner, who has also been bullied, bullying lupus suddenly stands up for him yeah and they take tanner and they and they put him in a trash can yeah and uh and then lupus you know thanks him you know nobody stood up for me before the whole point of this scene which is not the point that i'm going to bring up but the whole point of this scene is the growing relationships among the teammates that tanner makes this this take chooses to defend his teammate even though just seconds ago he didn't like him yes on him but this is a bullying scene that today is kind of, I don't see it as dated. I think a lot of people might. But actually, one of the things that I remember because uh, my older brother was, you know, played Little League for years. So we were at the ballpark constantly. Gotcha. And we would get in fist fights constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly. Uh, in ways that I don't think would happen today. But uh, but it would happen and nobody would get in trouble. Well, no, uh, th- there's a scene where they talk about Tan- that, that that kid who, who after the first game got in a fight with the seventh grade. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know if you. I, I remember. I remember thinking, "Oh my God, something like that happened to me once uh, after a kickball <laughs> game, where uh, where a lot of the sixth grade class attacked me until and nobody did it, and nobody did anything. No, nobody did anything. In fact, audience, you'll be curious to know, nobody did anything until my friend Jason and Tony came storming in and helped me out. And the, the tide was turning, not necessarily because of anything brilliant I was doing in this in this uh, uh, assault on my person, but because my friend Jason is, uh, as I might have said on an earlier podcast, I, I've come to nickname him Juggernaut over the years. Um, <laughs> but then, but then uh, a, a woman who was also the size of Juggernaut came over, uh, Mrs. King, and she... <laughs> She said, "Oh, stop it, boys! Stop it, boys! It's, what's going on? What's going on?" She she suddenly intervened. Uh, but uh, sorry, audience, this 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 episode has been a little more biographical than than, than many of our episodes are. But uh, but no, I mean this this movie definitely captures some some elements of childhood that are are seldom captured. And you're right. I don't think that 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 we would see this kind of thing in a film today. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Well, I, let me let me back up a little bit. But bullying, I think that the, the 
the the the kind of bullying that happens is certainly not going to be alien to kids today. I mean, bullying is a big problem, you know. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. But this film portrays it. I, I, I look. I'm not defending the way the film portrays it. I'm suggesting that it's the way it would have been processed at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I got in a fight at a at a little league ball uh, field, yeah, and uh, and and kind of got beaten up, I probably wouldn't have told my mom about it yeah i probably wouldn't have stressed about it i i, I mean except to the extent that well, i'll get him next time you know i mean there was yeah, yeah, yeah. there was kind of this this kind of acceptance uh and it's not that it didn't affect people's self-esteem it did yeah. not that it didn't affect people's psychological health it did that's not that's not what i'm saying i'm not i'm not defending it but i'm just suggesting that that in that era that there was this kind of and 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 our parents and the adults would have said you know well, you know, much like Roy Turner, well, they need to experience that. They need to experience that kind of, yeah. you know, adversity. Yeah. Well, this film definitely understands that 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 kids have certainly their own experience that that often happens outside the uh, purview of adults. That doesn't doesn't delve into that too much, but that's that's an example of something that, that definitely happens outside of Buttermaker's purview. It happens outside of Turner's purview, and Turner wouldn't have. I don't think. Turner would have done much to stop it. And there's a, Buttermaker might have intervened to stop the bullying, but I don't think Turner would have. So we're seeing some team unity build, uh, but we're also seeing more and more of those bullying moments from Buttermaker. He's suddenly invested in winning the big game too. So he's starting to become too much like the bad guy coach. Turner, yeah. Yeah, Turner. And uh, we see this in the uh, semifinal game, I think it is, right? Where he tells Leak to go after every ball that there is and he doesn't let some of the other kids shine uh their backup pitcher loosely i use that term loosely uh Ru- rudy rudy means well in the role of pitcher <laughs> he means well but but he's not a terrible hitter but Moros, I'm sorry, Buttermaker says, lean in, let the ball hit you, take your take your ball. We want to, you know, uh, he doesn't want to take any chances. He doesn't want, Buttermaker's lost that sense of what Little League should be that he had, yeah. that he had perfectly at the beginning of the season because he was, because uh, he didn't care. And there are no stakes in Little League <laughs> As I said earlier, and uh, but now he wants to win because he's he's sort of invested himself in it too, and so he does every he he makes a lot of good calls. I mean, as a coach, and the team wins, right? Yeah. But his tactics start to drive wedges uh, in between some of the teammates. Yeah, because because of course Kelly's a great fielder. No, oh, yeah, great arm, great hitter. He's just a great player. But I, I love the moment where Ahmed's like, "Hey, there's eight other men out here," you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Men. Yeah. Like- <laughs> no, that was, that was, I caught that too. I want I want to back up to this uh, funny moment because there's a, this is another funny uh, gag where uh, before this game Buttermaker is handing out cups to all the to all the players. Yeah, it's the regulation you got to wear it. And for some reason, these kids are really reticent to wear athletic protectors for their groin, Jason. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I remember one of the one of the Spanish kid that one of the Spanish speaking kids comes up and is like I I, I can't do it because uh, I'm Catholic. I think uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, uh, shit, the smart kid, Ogilvy. Ogilvy. So I've been working on my Spanish coach. Let me see. Oh, uh, well, he he can't wear one because he's he's Catholic. <laughs> 
And and Buttermaker says, Jesus Christ. Which which is exactly the kind of thing that would have happened in Blazing Saddles. I mean, you, your 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 comparison is actually pretty great. But none of the kids will wear a cup for some reason. This will come back to bite one of them. Right. So uh, a, a, a sideline that uh, uh, Miguel and Jose, the actors that play them, play these these you know, Hispanic uh, kids who don't speak English. Neither of them could speak Spanish. Oh really? <laughs> Had to learn the Spanish lines. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. But. Uh, I, I thought it was a funny scene. I wanted to. I wanted to highlight it. Uh, uh, but yeah. and Walter Matthau gives that. He gives the kids Jesus such a Christ. Look, he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but anyway, back to the to the semifinal game. Buttermaker is also fomenting some of the same rebellion we'll see on display at the final game because he he tells Leek to 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 play like he like knock it out of the park, get everybody else's you know catch everybody's ball, catch every ball that you can, and the kids start to get angry at Leek for doing that, and he. he he starts to back off a little bit towards the end of the game. He doesn't even try and shine at the plate that uh, that much. He, he's almost he almost doesn't take the swing because because he likes the other kids at this point. Well, well, one of the things that that comes through really clearly, and you sort of suspect it, he's hanging out on the field because he wants to hang out with other kids. Yeah. But he's got this reputation of being a bad kid, and and sort of one of those perpetual motion machines of of uh, social interaction here like there's a feedback loop of sorts and he wants to do he wants to do the little league but he's he's in a situation where he couldn't say it right, right. and some of his past behaviors have, uh, have made it such that some of the a lot of the adults don't want to deal with him especially the 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 the, the, the co-coordinator woman she fucking hates that kid well yes but well but kelly leak is also an anti-hero mm-hmm. um, in the sense that he's kind of this villainous character that all the adults don't like kelly leak even before he joined the team never would have bullied any of the bears no right well he doesn't bully any of the kids well i mean there's one kid that that he what no and this isn't even a bullying motion he's he's a he's another hustler he's like amanda in a lot of ways because he he loans money out to the kids sometimes and (laughs) one of the kids is like oh yeah man he he loaned me a nickel and then he said if i didn't have a dime for him on friday he'd break my arm (laughs) and uh but he doesn't bully the kids you know um that was a business that was a business transaction legitimate (laughs) legitimate forgotten about that but he doesn't bully them you're right is this the game where they have the fight though no it's the next game it's the final game where they have the big fight right at at the end of that semi-final game where they've got themselves into the playoffs he senses the kids are mad at him and he tries to get some of them to ride his motorcycle with him and all of them just ignore him yeah i i i think he even asked lupus to yeah go for a ride yeah none of them want to go for a ride and he's hurt by it absolutely absolutely because he he's really found his people right and so this is this is the moment where I wanted to push back on you because after all the kids leave, Amanda is trying to get a father figure to be more involved. And she she talks about a a, a, a plan she's made for she and, and Buttermaker and her mom to go out and do some stuff. And and he and that's when he you're right, he says he doesn't he doesn't think he gets along with her mom very well. And and she says, Well then we can just go out. You know, it's fine. We can go hang out. And he sort of explodes at her and says he didn't really like her. He doesn't really basically he kind of says he doesn't like her that much he just went and got her because she needed he needed a pitcher and she stormed of course, this is this is that trope that that uh, Anya talked about not liking very much, where the heroes all go apart and then they come back together to resolve the the piece of the film. But here, it, it doesn't seem unnatural, except that it sort of comes out of the blue. And I, I have a I have a theory about this. I think Buttermaker could have been one of the greats, but I sense that he's one of those guys. 
guys who sabotages himself a lot for whatever reason. We don't know why he does this, but he does seem to try and push people away from him. And he kind of blows up at her. So that's why I don't know if he doesn't get along with her, his, her mom or not. He's lying. I think he's, I think he, he does this thing where he sabotages himself. Uh, and I don't know why some people do this. I don't think they necessarily know why, but I, there may be some, some burden of expectation that he doesn't want to bear. But for some reason, he's really reticent to, to be part of people's groups. Like he probably could have been, it sounds like he could have been a great baseball player. I mean, he, he talks, he talks about like striking out a great baseball player in training camp. Right. Yeah. But to me, I don't, I don't trust his, his uh, narration on some of these points about his life, because I think that he, I think that he's a depressed guy and doesn't, doesn't necessarily want to bring that, bring other people into that with him. I don't know why. Don't we get two close-ups after this exchange? I know Amanda's crying. Yeah. He is too. He's crying too when she, when she storms off. And after he says what he says, you also, you, you almost get the sense that he even realizes that he's gone too far this time with this, you know, like, or, or at least recognizes what he's done. Well, but this part of the film, this third act yeah. of this hour and 45 minute movie, Buttermaker does have a series of what you just said, going too far. Yeah. The, the whole thing of um, of pushing uh, uh, Stein too far and in terms of taking a, a, you know, Rudy taking the, you know, leaning into the pitch and that kind of thing. Yeah. This bit with Amanda, the final game, this is all going to come to a head. But there's kind of this series of things. I don't know. Is it is it a little Luke Skywalker Return of the Jedi cutting off his father's hand kind of moment? I mean, there's kind of this thing where Buttermaker is is um, he's been by himself for a long time. He's not been interacting with people. Yeah. He's drinking beer with shots of bourbon and cleaning pools. Like he's not really been building relationships at all. And he and he didn't build relationships when he got into this team. He was just ah, I'm just gonna do this. And then suddenly, oh, you know, uh, this is bullshit. These kids are not being treated well. The, 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 no one believes in him, but I'm going to believe in him. And then, and then he kind of builds this expectation. And suddenly, there's this buttermaker personality that he's not used in a while. Yeah, he's not been in a relationship in a while. And suddenly, suddenly, there's kind of this explosion of all these little interactions that are kind of, in a minor way, kind of shocking. Well, I think they are, and, and absolutely, they're shocking. And but I think they're revelatory about, I think they tell us without saying explicitly why he is where he is, because he, I get the sense that this is the kind of thing he's done to people and to himself his whole life. The movie does not spell it out. It doesn't spell it out, but, but I think they give us enough to know. I mean, if you've lived a long enough life, you, you know, people like Buttermaker, he doesn't say it, but you can hear echoes of it. It could have been a contender. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but unlike unlike that character who I just referenced, Buttermaker is the call. I think Buttermaker is the author of a lot of his own misery. But but you're right. He's become invested. He's become a good coach, or at least a successful coach. Um, and he and, and he cares about the kids. And he cares about the outcome of the game. Well, he cares about the kids, but not perfectly. He cares about the outcome of the game. There's gonna there's gonna be a self a self realization in a second. You said he, he cares about 
the outcome of the game, no doubt. But he really does care about the kids. Yes. In ways that Turner, that Roy Turner, the other coach, does not. Does and not. That is the difference between the two of them. Turner wants to win the game. Buttermaker wants to win the game. The difference is Buttermaker does care about the kids deep down, and he's more of a conflicted character, whereas Turner's just more kind of wants to kind of serve his own ego. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that is exactly what's happening. And that's sort of happening to Buttermaker too, but a little bit in this scene or a lot uh, but but Turner definitely is is boosting his ego with the success of this team and so over the course of this game we see almost indistinguishable coaching styles yeah Turner uh, sorry Buttermaker is being rude to the kids he's telling them he's being very demanding when I say do something you do it and 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 so he's he's ramping up and 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 ostensibly it's because he the kids have told him they want to win they want to do well and he's like and he has this moment where correct me if I'm wrong does his big realization happen before or after uh, Turner at the mound with the kid after okay so previously in this in this final game audience there's a kid at the plate having a, a duel with Engelberg 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 has become a serious hitter he's a danger at the plate and this kid at the uh, on the what are the what's the name of the opposing team the Yankees the Yankees this kid wants to make a statement this kid at the mound for the Yankees wants to make a statement he wants to strike out Engelberg hold on it's Turner's son it's Turner's son that's right I didn't I didn't realize that first and Engelberg hits what I thought was a homer but the sideline ref says it was a foul I was with I was with I was with Buttermaker there I was like no that was uh, that that was that was fair but ref said no they were <laughs> <laughs> Buttermaker has some funny interactions with the ref in this game. Oh, you're gonna call? You're gonna you're gonna call him like that all day? We'll just quit and go home. What are you doing? I don't want to do it. But Turner, Coach Turner, realizes that the kid's danger at the plate. Just wants him to walk him, and the kid's like, "Why well, want to strike him out? No, just walk him." Kid's dangerous hitter, and. <laughs> Engelberg, the bad news bears being who the bad news bears are. Engelberg gives the kid, the the kid of the pitcher's mound, the finger, and little Mister Turner <laughs> tries to hit the kid in the head with the ball, right? Yeah. And everybody's a little like, "Whoa, that was pretty crazy. That wasn't that wasn't called for." His dad comes out. Uh, you tried to hit him, didn't you? And his son tries to explain, probably incorrectly, but but he's just a kid. Yeah. That you know, it just got away from me, and you like, don't lie, you don't lie, whatever he says and and he hits him hits him hard it's it's this couldn't happen today well it, it couldn't happen today but but the film does frame it correctly because everyone is like, like uh, i'm not talking about the audience i'm not talking about us watching the film no no but he who sees it the actors the performers the characters yeah yeah um are recognized that what is happening is not right yeah and well this there's, there's an interesting exchange here too because like the kid's mom comes running down down afterwards and she's like did you tell him to to try and hit the kid the the bear and turn coach turner didn't tell him to do that mm. you know and he's embarrassed that his son did that I and mean, that's that's why he hit his kid part of it was for lying part of it was for embarrassing him you know but but, but to me there's something interesting and actually like you know you just said this scene could not be made today and i agree with you but at the same time well, i don't know I, I i don't know about that what i'm saying is like that coach could have done that in 1970 oh, oh yeah, okay yeah back to his mound and nobody would have done anything no yeah, yeah, yeah. no today somebody would have been like oh i'm gonna call the cops now 
but, okay, but now, but a, a lot of the things that have happened in this film so far, and some that will happen after, are a little dated. This scene is is kind of not, because actually one of the things I think that is implied in this film is that um, Roy Turner, this is how he is at home. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, because look, he hit his son, he was unapologetic about it, but the fact that his wife absolutely rejects his decision very quickly, you son of a bitch, she's been dealing with this for a while. Yeah, oh yeah. And to to, to have this done now in front of all these people is a, a bridge too far, and it's also a bridge too far for his son. Which, 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 which leads to one of the really neat moments in the film where I think Engelbert hits a line drive, yeah, and the the Turner son at the mound catches it and holds on to it and does nothing with it. Yeah, as Engelbert Engelberg sorry runs around the bases and picks up a run at about 0.03 miles per hour. But yeah, well, yeah, I mean Engelbert can slug it, but I mean he's very Babe Ruth around the bases, <laughs> you know. So for some reason, but this is this is that interesting thing that the film does right about child psychology. I mean, like the kid is going to show his dad in this moment. I won't. I'm not this gonna, isn't I'm right. Not gonna I'm not going to dance for you. Exactly. And uh, and his mom supports him. She does. And, and and there's something Turner. Even though I think what's implied is that Turner's marriage is now in danger. <laughs> his relationship is. with his son is certainly in danger. But he immediately pivots to try to win the game. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well. And this is also this scene is also kind of pivotal because it's something that that butter it, it's going into Buttermaker's input, right? Yeah. And one of the kids comes up to him and says, "Well, this, oh, this might have happened earlier. You got you need to, you need to switch out Amanda. She she can't do this anymore. Her arm is done for the day. Yeah. And probably I mean probably because she's been like crushing it for the whole season. You know, right? I mean her arm's in ice, and and I I don't think that happened. I don't think that his the ice bucket for his beer. That's right. That's right. And he blows up at the kid. He, I know what to do you let me worry about the goddamn team and uh but shortly after the incident with the with uh turner's son there's a there's a the team dynamics of the bears comes to a head could you set up that how did that happen how did how did it come to the point where where buttermaker is saying i thought you wanted to win you guys you guys you guys won well no uh, so that's the second interaction with uh rudy because um Buttermaker is trying to manufacture the win and uh, Rudy Stein, who's the other pitcher, yep. would be batting and he asks him to take another pitch. And, another and, hit, another hit, right? Well, uh, 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 yeah, n- not take another pitch, but uh, another bean ball. Yeah. Where, where um, you know, lean into the pitch and get hit. And I, I, surely you must have appreciated the interaction where he's like, so Stein, I need you to do it. And, and he's like, no, 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 I, I don't want to do that. It hurts. And there's like this over overlapping dialogue which is just beautiful yeah and um and and so he goes out there but but um so so stein hits stein hits the ball he doesn't take the hit he does a ground ball and he gets thrown out yeah and when he comes back god damn it i told you yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that's what happens, and he he has that moment where he explodes at the kids, and and that's where he says, you know, do you? Well, I thought you guys wanted to win. No, right. But hold on, because actually, this movie does not pull punches, and one could say that this makes the movie dated. But actually, I think that it it it's more of an example of the movie pulling no punches, because when when Rudy gets back to the dugout, he takes him and throws him against the wall. Yeah. And and it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. It is. It is. Yeah. But. It, it 
it begins the best scene in the movie. Absolutely. And what what happens in this scene is he's telling the kids that, hey, I thought you wanted to win. All year you've been crapped on, spit on. Yeah. And what I think is neat that happens in this film is because the kids don't respond in the way that he thinks that they should in this. I mean, they're all dejected because he's changed as a coach. And this is the first time Buttermaker sees that he's changed as a coach. And yes. that what I what I think is so great about that is that he comes to realize in this moment, oh, I've made this more about me yep. than about them. Yep. And and he's had the example of the kid getting knocked to the ground by his dad out on the pitch. And yep. one of the things that Walter Matthau does really great in this moment is he he actually has that, he somehow conveys shame in this scene. Like he is yep. ashamed yep. that he's lost the he's lost the the thread. That that they all had together. Yes. And at that point, he sort of he doesn't revert back to the to the disinterested, terrible coach he was at the beginning of the movie. But he does start to kind of this is a this is a little league game. This is this is I'm gonna coach them well, but but I also want all the kids to now he also realizes that like he's denying several of the kids to get to this moment, he's had to deny several of the members of the team a chance to play, right? So Lupus and and Miguel and Jose are they're all gonna go in and play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because he's he sort of like has a as a I, I he changes the roster of the outfield, he puts in all of his substitutions, right? Yeah. And the kids sort of become a little outraged, like, well, wait a minute, what are you, what's going on here? And on this uh, team, everybody plays, yeah, exactly. And then he's like, uh, oh, I can't remember what he says exactly, but you guys did great, sit down, shut up. <laughs> he sends the kids out. But one of the things that's really neat is that Ahmed was right and that the team is actually pretty good because a lot of the members of the team make a lot of good decisions, Ahmed, especially. Yeah, it, and it goes all the way back to that discussion they had in the tree. Well, you're fast, yeah. yes, you're fast kid i mean shit well we, we can if you come back and play you know we can we can fake them out of their shoes you'll you can you can get first second on a bunt you know yeah because you're fast you're fast i am pretty fast yeah. and they get one of the kids on <laughs> that, that that kid who couldn't actually speak spanish picks up a gets on base and so sorry by the by the time that our heroes enter the last inning it's they need five runs to to win well um so hold on i want to linger a little bit on the scene that you just described i i actually i I really think it's the best film uh, excuse me the best scene in the film it is i and i have watched i mean i've seen this movie more than five times and uh and i've watched this scene isolated on youtube countless times because i think that it's a really really great scene so if we go back for a second he takes rudy and throws him against the wall which you know in this abusive scene and, and you know and he talks about how you know all year you've been laughed at crapped on don't you want to spit it back in their faces and do a certain extent we get that yeah we want to see that too we know the kids want to see it but this is beautiful filmmaking close up close up close up close up no dialogue you got tatum o'neill you know all the kids close up 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 we see their silent reaction to him and what's interesting to me and and i think i agree with what you said but that the the viewer of the film can decide for themselves what that silence means i i think I know what it means. I think you know what it means. The kids are recognizing because they, they care about Buttermaker. They don't see him as somebody like Turner. Yeah. They know that he's overstepped his bounds, but they know that that's not really him. And they're and when they look at him un, uh, totally universally, totally in unison, they are saying to him without saying anything, we've all been 
in this together. Yeah. And this this isn't what we're about. You're throwing us around and yelling at us. And that's not how we got to this point. That's not that's not our relationship with you. Like, you know, we like you. You know, you're kind of our friend. This is not what this has all been about. And so it's like close up, close up, close up. And and they I think they do a close up on Tatum O'Neill more than once where she kind of has her head kind of tilted. Yeah. They but they do a close up on all the kids where they're confused. They don't understand how he's reacting. And then the best bit of acting that Walter Matthau does in the film, the final close up is on him. And I don't and and I've watched this more than a more than a few times. Suddenly, Walter Matthau, his eyes water. Yeah. Well, and that's the recognition. Oh, he's I, I think that's right because he's almost become Turner. Yes. And he's not going to do that. No. And this is why I was talking about my Dinothor Theoden comparison. Because, <laughs> right. Because they're very similar. I mean, they're both serious men about baseball, but but one of them places themselves uh, and their own ego over the that of the team. And and Buttermaker, uh, that is to say, Turner does that. Buttermaker comes close to doing that. And then it, the re, the reaction of the kids to that speech. With no dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. What I thought the kids were sort of saying was like, yeah, we want to do it, but we want to do it as a team. Like you said earlier, when we yeah. win it, when we, when we lose, we lose as a team. When we win, we win as a team. And what, what, Buttermaker was doing was being an excellent coach for generating wins, but he was limiting the play of everybody else and limiting the enjoyment everybody else got from this game. But I, but the kids did. <laughs> Some of the Bears did think his his epiphany took took a few too many drastic steps. Well, wait a minute, what's going on? Wait, wait, wait. Because they kind of react crazily when he takes out several of the best players and and puts in because they do want to win. They do want to win, and even doing that though, they come pretty close to winning. They they want to win. They don't want him to be an asshole. Yeah. But 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 there's another moment where Whitewood, who wanted to disband the team, yeah, is like, why are you putting this lupus kid in? I mean, we got a chance to win suddenly he cares suddenly he cares yeah yes, i forgot about that scene for a second until you just brought it up but yeah whitefoot comes uh, comes running up and starts trying to really aggressively bend buttermaker's ear to his concerns and he he buttermaker lets him speak for a little while and then he's like look get out of here see i think and, and you've laid this out a lot about buttermaker i i mean i think that what you've said about his character is pretty insightful and you said some things that i didn't think of but i think buttermaker the important thing about him he is inoculated against some things he's inoculated against being influenced by whitewood yeah his 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 weak points have nothing to do with what whitewood thinks no no he is susceptible to his own failures and his what might have been's yeah right well i mean when you put it that way and i hadn't thought of this i think what we see is that buttermaker has exactly the same same kind of problems with authority that a lot of his bears have. Yes. And so, so you're right. When somebody like Whitewood uh, or Turner come and try and bully him into doing something, that is almost guaranteed to bring out Buttermaker's, you know, native intransigence. Yes. No, I think, I think that that's right. So he is, he is, he has all of the antibodies that are necessary to somebody like Whitewood's wheedling. But it is really strange how, and I think probably very true, of Whitewood's sudden interest 
interest in these winner, these kids who are almost going to win. I mean, they're, they're going to be, you know, win or lose their second. There's they've, they've come from the very bottom of the league to the upper echelons of the league. Right. Um, but anyway, at this point though, Buttermaker is sort of that perfect, that he becomes almost the perfect coach for this kind of league is when uh, Lupus is like, ah, coach, don't, don't put me in. Everybody on this team plays. Yeah. He's like, go out, do your best. Don't worry about it. I mean, that's basically what he says. And I know one of the kids comes back in from the dugout after not doing well or did not getting a run. And he's like, no, you did great. You did your best. You, you did your best. It was great. And he's actually, he actually gets to see by sort of letting the kids just play. He gets to see in this final inning, his teaching come to fruition because yeah. the kids do some smart and good things. And he's really happy with that. It's really neat when, when Ahmed, Ahmed does this really brilliant thing when he challenges the pitchers, oh, I'm going to knock it out. And he points, uh, you know, he points to the outfield and everybody like, as a viewer, I was like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to, I wondered if they were going to give us a home run. And, yeah. then, and then when he bunted, I was like, Oh, that was great. <laughs> But I was fooled too. And he, and he, I think he made it to first base. But the bases get loaded pretty quick. And you wonder, you wonder. Uh, uh, the, the thing about the underdog movie is that most underdog movies, the underdog win, right? Oh. Uh, not all. And this is an example of, of one of those underdog movies where they took a chance and they didn't have the Bad News Bears win. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, I didn't remember that. So I was a little shocked when it when they didn't win because I'm used to a lot of modern underdog movies where the, where the, where the underdog wins. And I thought, you know, that's that's sort of in keeping with the realism of the movie. Right. But Turner tries to be gracious at the end when they're getting their trophy. And the first place trophy is pretty obnoxious, I gotta say, for Little League. It's like yeah. they got the Stanley fucking cup or something. And his graciousness is as fake as everything else about him. And and the graciousness of the now acting team captain is also awful. The Bears were that other team's equal, but the game didn't break their way. Right, because I mean, I thought they were—I thought they were pretty evenly matched teams, right? But but they were like, well, you know, we still don't think you're a really good team. But you, you guys did. You got guts. You got guts. I, I have watched the last scene. <laughs> Probably 700 times on YouTube. I, well, I, I love it. Well, I'll let you take it then. Take it away. This was your movie. Yeah. So, you know, so we had this doom, 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 where the teams come together. Well, no, but actually you cannot talk about the bad news bears without saying this, that they lose the game and Buttermaker starts passing out beers to all the kids. And Whitewood is absolutely shocked by this. And he's like, oh, we're celebrating as a team. Well, we lost. And and then, you know, there's kind of this, you know, this kind of drum thing uh, as the Yankees and the Bears all come out for the, and oh God, this is so brilliant. There's cuts of the Bears, including Tatum O'Neill, and they're, you know, they're taking a swig of beer and they come up and then there's a silence. And then there is indeed a series of close-ups that will be sustained throughout this scene. I, I think this is a brilliant scene in terms of how it's cut, in yep. terms of cut, in terms of how uh, the editing actually creates the emotion of the scene. And Vic Morrow, you know, uh, you know, I, we had our differences, but we settled out here on the ball field. At this point, Buttermaker is kind of in the Zen moment because they give him the second place trophy and he's like, oh, thanks. And he smiles like, it's all right. I mean, Buttermaker, ever since the moment where he let go of his anger, he's kind of in the Zen kind of place. Yeah. Or, you know, everybody got to play. I love these kids. We got second place. Everything's okay. 
then the the main player from the Yankees just gives this classic. I mean, it's wonderful. This classic asshole speech yes. about how well we want to apologize. We were pretty mean to you all year. <laughs> we still don't think you're that good a baseball team, but you do got guts. And then close up, close up, close up. All these close ups of the Bears and their reaction, which actually totally mirrors our response as well. Like, oh, you fucker, you beat us. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't deserve it because you're being an asshole about it and then suddenly there's this cut to tanner boyle who hey yankees you can take your apology and your trophy and shove it straight up your ass <laughs> and then lupus takes the second place trophy and throws it at them and says and another thing just wait down next year yeah and, and then and then we immediately go to this celebration of the bears pouring beer on each other yeah and then a closeout long shot where the bears are celebrating which i only know Noticed this actually the last time I watched it. I didn't. Okay. The Yankees leave. The final long shot, the Yankees aren't even on the field anymore. Even though they won, there's almost like because of the, the turmoil that they dealt with, with their coach hitting his son, yeah. the fact that the Bears kind of deserved a win because of, because of their guts, yeah. that the Yankees desert the field. And the long shot, as we pull back, we see the, the Bears pouring beer on each other and their parents, who we have not met up to this point, picking them up and hugging them and then we have the you know kind of the music and what do you think of this i like to me this is a brilliant anti-hero kind of like middle finger kind of ending scene because as you just said the bears lose this is an underdog film where the underdogs lose but then there's kind of this final moment that maybe in 1976 was totally unexpected yeah where the bears you know we lost but we won because we're going to celebrate together because what we did was more interesting than what you did Yankees. Well, I think I think there's certainly an element of that, but I also think that one of the things that that these that this team is celebrating is is just I think they're just sort of celebrating their tribe. Their right? relationship. Yeah, like they didn't win the big game, but they did do something kind of amazing together, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I think that yes, it was more interesting than what the Yankees did. Yeah. But it was also I, I feel they just wanted to play and play at least play well and yeah. what they're celebrating I think is that yeah we did that we played well we played well together you know and we're you know I I, I think that they were celebrating their accomplishments and their camaraderie I think that's what it was you know and and of course the interesting thing too is that like the the Mathau character uh, Buttermaker goes on this journey where he sort of understands that at the beginning we're just here to have fun we're just here to have you know friends and yada 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 gets invested in the outcome and forgets the other elements of yes. this and, and then the movie and the movie has the guts to do that absolutely and then he kind of finds it again he has that moment where he's like oh that's not what this is this is he realizes what I th what I think he realizes not and he couldn't probably articulate this especially as drunk as he probably was um <laughs> my job is to teach these kids how to play baseball and give them some direction their job is to learn this and have fun yeah. and he he discovers that and they always knew it they just didn't want to be they just didn't want to be the worst at it out there you know so i mean i guess that's what i thought they were celebrating Did, were you satisfied with the resolve of amanda and buttermaker if i recall she 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 suggests that they go out and do something and he's kind of like brushes her cheek and says you bet yeah i 
it's understated. I, I think it's understated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was indeed satisfied by it because it's about the team. Even though their relationship was the the central relationship of the movie, the movie's about this collection of people, mm-hmm. including Buttermaker, but all these kids who who are perceived as losers and they all come together and have this experience where they don't win. Yeah, yeah. But to us and to them, they're winners. Well, they, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I think that that's fair. That's the movie. And so I guess we're on to the verdict. Unless you have some things you want to say about the score or any, any anything. Much of the score is actually is brought out from um, Bizet and uh, his opera. You know, so there's a yes. lot of classical music that is actually brought into the film. Mm-hmm. So effective, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, it's so effective that it's very similar to the William Tell Overture and the Lone Ranger. That the William Tell Overture, which has nothing to do with the Lone Ranger. Yes, yes. For Americans, is kind of the theme of the Lone Ranger, but that's not what it was. Yeah. But the music from uh, from Bizet that is used in this in this film for Americans is the theme of the Bad News Bears, and so it, that's I, fair. That's absolutely right. It, well, well, I mean, I don't want to go into it any farther than that because I think that when they did that, they just thought, hey, that would be great to use this 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 piece to accentuate this movie. Okay, we're done. Let's go home. <laughs> you know, it's I don't effective. That, it, no, it's it's very effective. Yeah, but see, I don't think they thought that, you know, 50, uh, 40, 45, because this movie will be watched by people 20 years from now, 80 years later, that people will hear Bizet's uh, pieces and think of this baseball team. But I think that they will. They, they might. They might indeed. Uh, and so I think the music for this film is is classic and needs to be recognized as such. Well, I, uh, I had no idea, actually, until you said it, I don't think that the Lone Ranger score was not an original piece for the Lone Ranger. I've ruined I, I've ruined the, the Lone Ranger for you. I, I no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, <laughs> after after this podcast, I'll uh, given all the rum I've consumed, I will go back to thinking that the the Lone Ranger theme is indeed a specifically composed piece of music for the Lone Ranger. I, I'm going to be very Holmesian in this moment. I will cast this <laughs> bit of knowledge out of my head because it's unimportant. Why would I want to know that, Watson? <laughs> so I guess that leads us on to the verdict. I, I shall go first and I'll let you go. I'll let you close out the show. I, I will let you pitch hit, as it were. Is that right? Yes. I will let you bat cleanup and the verdict. Um, This is a film I was a bit hesitant to watch and I couldn't put my finger on why. I think I've told you a little bit about why over the course of this podcast but it was only partly that it made me uh, I was worried that it was going to make me feel old and it didn't do that quite as much or at least not to my detriment uh, to the detriment of the film as I thought it would the other reason though why I was a little hesitant to watch it is because it is a film that is peopled quite extensively with child actors and I was I was curious at I, I was I was worried rather not curious I was worried that I I would find a lot of fault with the kid actors in the film I'm happy to report audience that I wasn't bothered by any of the child performances in the film I thought for me in any event I always I always try to give kid actors a pass even you know like even if they're not good the kid actors it's fine I say to myself that's how I got through Phantom Menace eh, it, 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 it's fine but all of the, actually even even if they're not great actors all the kids are quite charming in this film and I also thought 
in my memory that the film leaned too much on kids cussing and being bawdy. And the film actually surprised me in that that's not really the case. I mean, the kids do, you know, the, the, the kids, the kids do have, you know, kind of foul mouths at, at times, but, but I found myself very charmed by this group of underdogs and misfits who couldn't find a place on other teams, but found their own team. And I, I was charmed by all of that. And, 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 and at the end of the day, I found the film to be quite charming and i think if you like underdog films you this this definitely has to be in your uh you have to see it folks and then decide for yourself where it where it stacks up in the underdog canon i don't know if that's a good verdict or if it's a focused verdict but uh it's my verdict and i'm gonna pass the baton to Jay- jason actually jason's next up on the and in, in, in the batting order in the batting order yeah. um i i i see i actually take that as a very positive verdict to kind of continue um max and i and our kind of talking about this film being part of our legacy of our age. I remember growing up knowing about the Bad News Bears, knowing that Bizet's theme was the theme to the Bad News Bears. There was a television show in the early 80s that I remember watching, but I don't remember anything about it. So I knew that that there was this, this pop culture entity of the Bad News Bears that was a Little League baseball team that I was supposed to like. And then I grew up and I forgot about about it and all this kind of thing. And then uh, when I became a movie fan in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, I started looking at older films and how people reviewed them. And I began to notice that the original Bad News Bears was this movie that people loved and thought was great. And I was like, have I ever even seen this movie? Because actually, I, I now believe my experience of the Bad News Bears is of the TV show from the early 80s where Corey Feldman actually played one of the characters one of the bears, a very young Corey Feldman, by the way, um, which I just discovered recently. I realized, I don't think I've ever seen the original Bad News Bears. I, I don't know anything about it. And I rented it back in the days when you rented things from Blockbuster. And I fell in love with it immediately. And I would say probably for the last 20 years, whenever I've had an opportunity to watch the Bla- the Bad News Bears, 1976 film with Walter Matthau, I've watched it. I went on vacation to Alaska a couple years ago. And I was on uh, I happened to be lucky enough to be on a flight that had an in-flight movie and not all of them do. I was kind of using my thumb to scroll through all the movies and there were a lot of movies that I loved that I would have liked to watch. Bad Begins, The Dark Knight, there were Skyfall, there were all these movies that I wanted to watch. Bad News Bears, boom, I popped it in. That's my opinion of the Bad News Bears. This is a movie that I think is so charming, has such a great heart, such great performances, such a great underdog story that I, I would choose it over more movies than you would think. Uh, this is a great movie. Um, if you like, if, if you love underdog movies, you should drop everything and watch it. It, it. it is it is one of the best ones. Among movies with child actors, movies made for children, even though in this, you know, there are things about it that are dated. This movie is something that I would recommend to anybody who wants to see a film that is smart, uh, you know, a fil- either a film made for kids or, a, or an underdog film that is smart with good characters, good dialogue, short, good pacing, everything that you want in a film. I would recommend this movie. There are a lot of great filmmakers uh, like Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, who have at different times called this one, called this movie one of their favorites. Uh, so I'm in good company in saying this, but I love The Bad News Bears. I love this movie so much. And if anyone said to me, hey, what movie do you want to watch? I, I got The Bad News Bears. You know, I bought it. Uh, would you like to watch it? I would say yes. 
and I would choose it over other things. I, I think it's a great movie. And that is the verdict. Jason, what are we doing next week is my decision. Um, I don't know. You're about to tell me. I'm about to tell you. Um, What are we doing next week? I've thought about it, and I think the rum stole my decision from me. I, I tried to prepare you. I yeah, said, you did. You did. Um, what are we doing? <laughs> what if we did... What if we did... What if? That's what we're doing next. Originally, it was going to be Star Trek The Motion Picture, but I'm going to have to cut in right now and say that's not happening anytime soon, I don't think. So we're going to do What If Anya is going to join us for that that show, and that'll be next week. And uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. All right, audience. Uh, cut all this I'll out. cut some of this out. Repurpose it. Yeah. Audience, uh, like us on Facebook. Share us on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, share us wherever you share shit. Email us at lordmovies39 uh, gmail.com. Hit me up on Supper Test, the Supper Test at twi- on Twitter. Give us a five-star review if you like our ramblings uh, uh, at Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show. Night. I've, I'm not. I'm not a master. I, I think that the omelet, the French omelet, is always a journey. <laughs>